The New Statesman podcast is sponsored by High Speed One. Demand for sustainable travel is increasing, and at High Speed One, we believe that high speed rail is the future of international journeys. A recent study shows over a third of Londoners are expecting to travel more by train in the next five years. To meet this increasing demand, High Speed One has ambitious plans to grow by offering more services and destinations, as well as preparing St Pancras International Station for growth. Find out more about the Green Gateway to Europe at highspeed1.co.uk. That's the words high speed and the number one.co. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Anoush, and on today's bonus episode of the New Statesman podcast, in partnership with Lloyds Bank, we're talking about levelling up. The UK has some of the highest levels of regional inequality in Europe. Is it really possible to make the UK a more regionalised economy? And what would it take to actually make levelling up a reality? To discuss this, I'm delighted to be joined by two special guests. Hannah Essex is co-executive director of the British Chambers of Commerce, the national body representing local business networks across the country, and Mark Burton, head of UK regions at Lloyds Bank. Thanks both for joining me. Good to be here. Pleasure. So let's start with the big question, first of all, if that's okay. Why does the UK have such a problem with regional inequality in the first place? Mark, do you want to go first on that? Yeah, thanks, Anoush. And look, I think it's it really stems from a historic shift in the sort of industrial backdrop in, in UK economies, really, in terms of the output. So I think we've seen over a number of years deindustrialization, if you will, some areas, which therefore really has led to impact on infrastructure, impact on skills, which then has a knock-on impact into growth and prosperity and, and into education and, and, and health as well. So it becomes a bit of a, a, a vicious circle and a circle that becomes really challenging to break, frankly. Hannah, do you have the same view? Absolutely. I, th- I think this is there are historic inequalities across the country that our, our wealth and our opportunities are concentrated very much in the London and the southeast, and mm-hmm. that that creates sort of regional differences. But then, even within those regions, even within the southeast, there are pockets of deprivation. There are communities that do less well in London as well. I think people often talk about levelling up as if it's a new buzzword. We've just had this awakening where we realise there's a problem, but this has existed for centuries and the causes are complex and the solutions are also complex and not necessarily a one size fits all approach what you need to do to level up say somewhere like Hastings might be quite different to what you need to do in Stoke so there's it's a big challenge but it's a long-standing challenge and it will probably take a long time to to fully it's really interesting that you said this is an idea that has been around for a long time to try and address a challenge that has been around for a long time I know at Lloyd's Bank they call it regional acceleration rather than leveling up obviously we're going to be focusing on the role of business in the private sector in in this challenge but successive governments have tried to tackle the problem and I just want how you feel about their progress. I've had the Northern Powerhouse, Midlands Engine, and now levelling up. Mark, do you want to come in on that? Yeah, and look, I think it's, it, it literally is an apolitical problem. It's not, uh, it, I think every, 
doesn't matter what party's in power, it is something that you can't walk past. It's and it, it has, as Hannah's alluded to, existed for a long period of time. I think where where it comes down to is, is delivering policy in conjunction with local government, with the private sector, and, and actually working on a challenge together. I think past past governments at times have tried to solve it in mm. a bubble rather than actually looking at how can we practically make a difference. And it's that practicality that is really at the heart of how we can unlock this and, and making people accountable for delivering it as well. Anna, is that the view that businesses have who you represent? Is that the kind of challenge that they face in some of the smaller towns and cities? Yeah, the Chambers of Commerce, we, there are 53 accredited chambers as part of our network right across the length and the breadth of the UK. And they're really embedded in their local communities. And I think where communities are most successful in transformation or improving outcomes, it's where everyone is pulling together under, an, uh, under a clear action plan and pulling in the right direction and chambers play a role in that sort of convening as do you know LEPs and and mayoral combined authorities and all those kind of places but it's having that really clear plan for your local area but crucially and I think this is where there's a gap it's having the sort of autonomy around decision making and the funding to go with it so Mm -hmm. that those people who are there in that community who see it who can see the solutions more clearly have the ability to actually pull the levers that will make a difference there are national policy changes that are needed, but actually it's action on the ground with both the private and the public sector working hand in glove that will really, where you really start to see change. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think it's the cohesion. It's the common goal, common purpose within in an area and then the cohesion of all the different bodies, whether it's higher, educa- higher education institutions, further education, local authorities, combined authorities, uh, and the business community all pulling in the same direction. And, and fr- frankly, that, that varies across the UK in our experience, certainly. Do you think they're getting the balance right in the latest sort of levelling up vision in terms of the role that government can play in working with those businesses and other bodies that you've both mentioned? There has been a little bit of confusion, I think, even with within the governing party itself over the de- definition of levelling up and how much it is a sort of infrastructure solution and how much is about other things like skills and training would either of you come in on that we're still waiting for the white paper so we're still waiting for the sort of the devils in the detail government has set out a vision which you know hard to argue with and everyone's behind it but the how practically how they're going to address it is a challenge and like you say you know there's a real focus on infrastructure and then we saw a decision just recently around hs2 and northern powerhouse rail which seems at odds with that whole levelling up agenda in terms of investment in infrastructure, which would create greater capacity and connectivity in those uh, regions that that need it, but also benefit to the rest of the United Kingdom. And like I said earlier, it's, it is complex. You know, education and skills is obvi- you know, clearly fundamental to any kind of levelling up, but as is connectivity, as is investment, there's a whole range of things that need to happen. So what the white paper sets out um, will be really important, but also how government then creates a partnership at a national level, but also within local communities to deliver on that plan. And it's that partnership of private sector and public sector and, and bringing all you know communities together, which will make a real difference. And Mark, Mark, what's your view on the sort of infrastructure side of that? Like um, Hannah mentioned, we have seen these new uh, plans for rail, which seem to water down the original vision of HS2 and and Northern Powerhouse Rail. Yeah, so so it's really interesting. It's been very interesting just this morning to to see the reaction as a result of, of, of the announcements. And actually, we've been working with sort of three areas, three pirate areas around the UK, in, in the Midlands, in the Northwest, 
and indeed in, in, in Leeds to, to, to look at how we can try and support that regional acceleration agenda and actually therefore seeing Tom Reid publish uh, a post this morning around actually trying to take the positives out of what the government have decided to do where there is still investment going into the infrastructure, nowhere near of the size and scale that, that, that was originally promised. But it's absolutely critical, the infrastructure, to, to get it right. And it's not just physical infrastructure either. It's the digital infrastructure and the connectivity that people can have through through that digital link and what that leads to in terms of education and skills from the back of it. So it's multifaceted from an infrastructure perspective. And certainly you see those areas that have been impacted in the past by sort of that deindustrialization point I mentioned before, but those that have got better infrastructure have, have actually bounced much more quickly and in a much more um, sustainable fashion as well. And I think that's the final point for me really within all of this is, yes, you can invest in infrastructure, but what does that lead to and how sustainable is that solution? And it needs to be long lasting rather than just a headline grabbing investment pledge, frankly. Yes, and I know you talked about it being a sort of apolitical problem, but it is interesting that Boris Johnson, as Prime Minister, does have this reputation for being very into infrastructure projects and also, strangely, perhaps for a Conservative Prime Minister, status solutions. Do both of you feel that the kind of private sector has been a little bit sidelined in at least the sort of mainstream perception of what levelling up means under this government? I think what we're seeing across the regions is that rather than waiting for government to produce policy, I think there's a a much wider recognition now that that people can solve this themselves. So if you think about some of the the clusters that are starting to build up around the UK, if you look at the Humber and the whole decarbonisation cluster, it's actually almost, let's not wait for government to to provide the solution. Actually, the solution is there. There is a broader global need. There is an industrial demand and there is the expertise in the will, in particular areas, to to get on and, and deliver against them. So... I think to an extent, the private sector with local public sector partners are actually just getting on with things um, anyway. And hopefully the white paper will serve to complement that and serve to to give a degree of framework that people can operate within. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And Hannah, do you want to come in on that? Yeah, and Mark's absolutely right. You know, and we heard this a lot actually during the Brexit debate where time was just taken up with parliamentary debate after parliamentary debate after you know all the vote and all the politics that's happening businesses just saying to us we're bored of this we want to just crack on and do some stuff we want to make things better we want to grow our business Mm -hmm. and I think that fueled that that motivation really to to crack on and do some stuff that said there are things that government could do to make that easier for business they could the upfront cost of doing business is on the rise and set to increase more in april particularly those smaller businesses that operate on small margins don't have big investments that that the ability to innovate and to to grow is being stymied by the high cost of doing business a lot more businesses have taken on debt during covid as well and so that is making them i think more cautious about investing in in innovations and investing in in growing their business and just trying to make sure they keep their head above water so I think government could create better business environments and then allow businesses to grab hold of these opportunities and to grow and flourish. Lots of already doing that, but I think there's a lot more that could happen. If you've been enjoying our podcast and want to find out more about what we think and some of our colleagues too, then why not subscribe to The New Statesman? You can get 12 weeks for £12. Go to newstatesman.com forward slash subscribe 12. 
Demand for sustainable travel is increasing, and at High Speed One, we believe that high speed rail is the future of international journeys. A recent study shows over a third of Londoners are expecting to travel more by train in the next five years. To meet this increasing demand, High Speed One has ambitious plans to grow by offering more services and destinations, as well as preparing St Pancras International Station for growth. Find out more about the Green Gateway to Europe at highspeed1.co.uk. That's the words high speed and the number one.co.uk. Because you mentioned the B word, it's time for me to bring it up. But we had a, a really interesting piece in Spotlight, which is our policy supplement at the New Statesman by David Oldfield, Group Director and CEO at Lloyds Bank. And he wrote that if Brexit is to be a success, then the UK needs to ensure that the economy and opportunities available at home are as strong as they possibly can be. Mark, what do you make of that assessment and what do you think needs to change? change to make sure that businesses can take that opportunity? I think Hannah's touched on a couple of the points in terms of actually it's how we can incentivize investment and and frankly improve productivity in in doing so as well and I think we've actually got some interesting comparatives to make certainly in in the work that we've been doing at Lloyds Bank we've been looking across at the US and and the US has got quite a good experience well in fact a strong track record of uh, over several decades in, in terms of working across sort of federal, state and local governments to to work with, with financial institutions and to work with the private sector to really target areas of that need investment and, and driving that productivity gain and driving driving that investment. And, and if we bring that back to, to the UK, we, we are a long way behind that. And therefore, there are some blueprints out there that we can learn from, certainly. But certainly, as we think about B, the B word, so to speak, it very much is about making sure that we try and onshore as much of our capability as we possibly can do. And, and frankly, we've seen challenges just in the last eight weeks of the inflationary impact of, of gas prices and, and, and what have you. And the more we can try and build our renewable sector such that we become more self-sufficient over, over a longer period of time is going to be absolutely critical to the ongoing success of UK PLC. And frankly, and this is where the challenge, I think, sits between politics and, and regional acceleration, levelling up, whatever we want to term it, is that it is a long-term, as Hannah's touched on, it's a long-term play. This is not a, this doesn't deliver in three years or five years. This is a 20-year programme. And that doesn't quite sit with our political backdrop of regular elections and what have you. So, we, we, we do need to be more strategic as a country to, or as a nation to, to take that forward. Mm. Hannah, I just wanted to pick up on that, that use of US examples of doing this better. Are there other countries or other regions uh, where support for, for regional business and economies are good models for the UK to potentially follow? I think when you look at how government is structured, then that also often cuts across in how investment is structured and how so you take a, a more sort of federated country like Germany and wealth spread more across the country ours is very centralized London focused economy and government and I think that plays out so where and now we've got this very odd political map where you've got mayoral combined authorities you've got metro mayors you've got some re, you've got regional mayors there's a 
and then you've got local authorities and county it's 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 a bit of a patchwork and that i think makes it also a bit harder to navigate some of the issues around funding and decision making and where you focus your energy i think there are places where they don't you don't have such a concentration in one particular part of the country it's more spread out but every country has their inequalities even within those regions it's not a particularly unique UK problem it's just that we have this concentration in very much in the southeast and we've talked about the challenge of getting that private investment necessary for businesses outside of London as well as the inflationary challenges and more recent challenges for businesses that Mark laid out I'd love to hear from both of you how the biz- how businesses that you both support and represent are feeling about those challenges that we've seen in recent weeks of supply but also of recruitment as well Mark yeah, so I think in certain sectors, government has certainly helped in terms of easing of certain policies and from an immigration perspective, because some of these, some of the labour challenges that some sectors are facing are only solved by getting back the workforces that were previously supporting those industries. But I think it, what, what's been most fascinating is that you can take anything from a, a, a 5 million turnover brewing company to a large sort of holiday-based airline. And I've seen two of them sat at a table together recently and actually, when they share their, their own challenges, they're not unique to one industry. They are It's common, and it, and, it, and it is across the size range of businesses as well. So I think there's we're seeing a lot where actually people can learn from one another and support one another. We're seeing people having to innovate. We're seeing people having to, rather than where they might have run quite heavily outsourced models in the past, they're bringing things in-house to, to take more control of their own destiny. And certainly we're seeing some of the big global corporates adding to the challenges and strangling some of those supply chains as they try and look after their own supply chains, which ultimately filters down because the, the raw material providers will prefer the big the big client over, over the small client. So it, I think it is going to lead to a whole host of innovation that, and accelerated innovation that we might not possibly have seen had these challenges not manifested themselves. Okay, so that's quite a positive view of this problem. Hannah, do you have a different perspective or are you hearing similar things? I mean, mean, right now, things are really challenging for business. Price hikes across energy, fuel, um, cost of materials, cost of shipping. And some of these are global issues. And a lot of it is rooted in the pandemic and that over time, things will hopefully filter out. But right now, it feels really tricky. I think the biggest challenge that's a long-term challenge is, is around people. I joined the British Chambers of Commerce three years ago and went around the country saying, what's top of your mind? What's the biggest issue you want us to be doing something about? And they said, "It's you need to help get more people with the skills that my business needs to be successful. And that remains a challenge. And even more following our exit from the EU. So we were we had a labour market of over 300 million people and we've reduced that significantly. Now, that's you can argue the rights and wrongs of that decision, but actually Mark talks about being strategic. We didn't really have a strategic plan for how we were going to make that transition from yeah. one kind of labour market to another and we're retro trying to retrofit that now but in the meantime we've got pubs and restaurants that can't open because they haven't got chefs and they haven't got waiting staff we've got businesses that are having to reduce their production lines we've got people who can't ship their, get their goods around the country because they haven't got drivers so all of that is holding back growth um, and tends to be you know talking about leveling up in, mm. in those sort of the concentration of people being in the southeast of London, so other parts of the country, sort of you know, northern Scotland, Cumbria, Cornwall, these are the places where it's you know even harder to find the people that they need. So I think our last survey showed 77% of businesses were struggling to to recruit the people that they needed. It's a big challenge. I think it needs a long-term 
approach and Mark's absolutely right government is, is not good at doing long-term plans but that means starting in by investing in education helping those young people who missed out on education during the pandemic to catch up it means businesses and education providers working together on that transition yeah. between education and work and making sure there are really strong programs and training in 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 there and also chambers of commerce are working on a pilot scheme looking at how we can have a employer-led approach to skills planning so that the provision of training and education within a local area matches the opportunities that are there for young people. So if you need more people working around green technology, you're you're providing the training that they need to get there. So that's the biggest challenge. There are opportunities and focusing minds on how do we really invest in our homegrown talent is not a bad thing. But if mm. we have this period, we're going to have this period where lots of businesses are going to struggle for people while we try and catch up with what we need to do on the sort of training development side of things. Yeah. And for the sake of our listeners, Mark, you were nodding along when Hannah pointed out that that strategic plan to try and transition from the pre-Brexit labour market model to what we're trying to muddle towards now wasn't there. Can you say a bit about that? From a Lloyds Bank perspective, we were talking to our clients, but we were talking to our clients about the security of the supply. Were, were goods going to get blocked at ports? And what might that do that to price due, due to prices? But but I think the labour market impact, well, I think, was underestimated by all industries. And I was nodding particularly because around the point of that sort of employer-led skills development. Certainly, we've been in a number of conversations again with the the regions that we've been getting involved with and, and it's that it, it becomes a, it's another virtuous not vicious this time i think it's a virtuous circle in, in that it does is it the employment that lands first and then you build the skills to to map to the employment or do you start to build real expertise and skill sets that then attract the investment to come in behind it so i think it's a really rich conversation that that continues to need to happen and it, it builds on a point i probably made right at the start around that cohesion and and ambition and almost everyone has to regardless of where we work in the industries we work in we, we have to make choices because resources are limited whether that's physical resources financial resources or, or indeed skills and and therefore making a choice as to what your region area will be known for be best at and then invest and get behind it but get behind it because every aspect of, of private sector and public sector and, and the communities have agreed and are aligned, then you can really get behind that and invest in it. But but if you're trying to be all things to, to, to all people, then I, I think that becomes really difficult to then build a skills agenda behind it and for businesses to come and invest because it's why would they? What's the real pull factor mm. to come and invest in that particular area? So that that precision of and that strategy is going to be really important, I think. Lastly, is, is levelling up or the, the need to level up a, a solvable problem? Is London's economy too big and too much of a pull on people and resources from the rest of the country? Hannah? I hope not. <laughs> I hope we can do better. And actually, as I said, it's not just about London versus the middle of the north. It's, it, mm. you know, in London, there are, there are inequalities that exist. There are people who don't have the same opportunities. In my spare time, I'm on the board for a charity um, that helps girls broaden their horizons, girls from the least advantaged communities broaden their horizons. And the, it came from an, a, a trip that a teacher did where she took a, a group of girls from North London into the city. And one of them said, Miss, why is that woman wearing a suit? What's she doing? And they were, they lived in London. It's the first time they'd ever, 14 year olds, the first time they'd ever been into the city. First time they'd ever seen a woman put on a suit and go to work. And then if you talk to our chamber in Devon and Plymouth, they will always tell you the life expectancy from one side of the city to the other in Plymouth is nine years, the difference in life. So there's lots of challenges. I think we have to be really clear what, 
what we mean by leveling up we have to set some really clear metrics what is the change that we're hoping to see so that the energy and the focus can be pulling behind the same thing because actually if you've all got different definitions of what we're trying to do here then you will end up with lots of different strategies and it won't all come together so the white paper is going to be really important to really set out what is it we're trying to achieve what are the metrics and how is a partnership across all stakeholders public private sector social and community action groups how are we all going to come together to really try and tackle this issue over the long term because it's not a quick fix thank you mark yeah, uh, look, for me, regional levelling up or, or regional prosperity, it's about improving life chances and economic outcomes. And I'm really optimistic, actually, because if we look at it through the ESG, there is a wall of cash across the globe seeking um, the right sort of societal impacts um, to, to contribute towards. Uh, and therefore, so certainly from a, from a financial institution perspective, we can really support focusing on accelerating place-based social impact investing. And, and I think financial institutions have got a really big and important role to play in, in acting as that thought partner, as well as the funding partner, and really convening all these stakeholders that know they want to make a difference, know they want to make an impact, and know they want to con contribute to this really important agenda point, but at times don't know how to channel that energy or those resources. And I think certainly, as I look across the the private sector, uh, as well as the financial institution sector, I, I just see a real to want to deliver and to make a big difference. But we need to accelerate it and we, we need to collaborate and work with people like the, cham the chambers and what have you to really fundamentally make that difference in those core territories around the UK. Thanks so much. I'm glad both of you could give me an optimistic note to end on. And it was a great discussion. So thank you so much for, for giving us your time. Hannah Essex from the British Chambers of Commerce. Thank you. Great to be here and Mark Burton from Lloyds Bank. Thanks very much. Do check out newstatesman.com for all of our coverage on levelling up. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anusha Kellyan. If you've enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to leave a review or tell a friend. Our music is Devil with the Devil, licensed under Creative Commons, and our producer is Adrian Bradley. The New Statesman podcast is sponsored by High Speed One. Demand for sustainable travel is increasing, and at High Speed One, we believe that high speed rail is the future of international journeys. A recent study shows over a third of Londoners are expecting to travel more by train in the next five years. To meet this increasing demand, High Speed One has ambitious plans to grow by offering more services and destinations as well as preparing St Pancras International Station for growth. Find out more about the Green Gateway to Europe at highspeed1.co.uk. That's the words high speed and the number one.co.uk. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.